After years as a pediatric nurse, I thought I was so ready for motherhood. <laughs> yes, we can all take a collective laugh at my naivete now. Don't worry, I have. In today's world, we're pressured to keep it all together as at an all-time high, and true community is increasingly harder to find. Where can we turn to for support, guidance, or just a plain chat about the real stuff? This podcast aims to be just that, community, education, and a real combo on all things parenting. So come take a seat at my kitchen table. We're all family here, and we hold nothing back. My name is Jordan, and this is the Supportive Parenthood RM Podcast. I spoke last episode on what makes a good mom. Now it's time to dive into what makes a happy kid. I don't think it's a secret that America tends to focus on the wrong things in childhood. We are knee deep in a growing mental health crisis plaguing our children. Such a large portion of our patient population were attempted suicides or mental health crises that Children's of Alabama opened up a separate pediatric psych ED in an attempt to meet this demand. This only worsened in the pandemic, in which about, I want to say, 75% of the patients that I saw in the PICU and throughout the entire children's hospital were suicide attempts. It's so disturbing, to be honest with you. And I don't think enough people are talking about this or really thinking about the reasons behind it or where we can go from here. A solid portion of the patients that came in admitted that their suicide attempt was more of a desperate attempt for change or help than in true intention to die. Some of the most common cited reasons leading to this decision were feelings of loneliness, unrealistically high expectations and pressure for success, dysfunctional home life, and just a general feeling of being unheard and lacking joy. These attempts often followed fights with parents or breakups or other emotionally triggering events, after which the children were left feeling desperate and without a safe place to turn. And this problem is only growing. So my question is, where did we go wrong and how can we change course for our kids? When I found out I was pregnant, I was determined to learn how to raise a well-adjusted and happy child. And obviously I have some, you know, of my own childhood things to pull from, but whenever I'm faced with a question that's just so daunting to me, I always turn to research (laughs) and books. That's just how I function best. So I dove deep into early childhood development and psychology, building my future parenting off Erickson's stages of psychosocial development and focusing on positive parenting, meeting the child where they were at developmentally, prioritizing experiences over academic prowess, and remembering that play is learning, and then always allowing a child to develop at their own pace. This is one of the big things that I think that we forget in America. So then after I nerded out over some psychology, I went and searched for books. There are so many freaking parenting books out there and a lot of them I would sift through and I just didn't, I didn't vibe with entirely. I do have a few favorite parenting books, but they're more on like a very specific topic than just a general overarching parenting style type theme. Then I came across one that really resonated with me. It's The Happiest Kids in the World by Rena May Acosta and Michelle Hutchinson. 
This book is written by an American and a Brit, respectively, who currently live and raise their children in the Netherlands. They're both expats married to Dutch men. And it details their observations between American and British culture, which are pretty similar in their approaches to childhood, and then the Dutch culture, which is radically different in how they treat their kids. And it's interesting because I believe, if I remember right, one of them had a child in their home country and then also had a child in the Netherlands. And so they had a very good comparison between the two cultures. And so this book really details how Dutch parents in general, obviously everything being a generalization, approach parenting and how that is radically different than the English Western approach. In a 2013 UNICEF report, Dutch children were rated the happiest kids in the world, hence the title of this book. Y'all, I adored this book. Very easy reading. I generally liked how they had the differing perspectives. I know from my own degree in cultural anthropology, one of the hardest things to do is to assess your own culture because it's what you grow up in. It's just what you consider normal. And then whenever you compare or see a different perspective, that's whenever you really start to look at the overarching themes of how you do things and why we do things. And you're like, hmm, I see this. This is culture. It's not just how things are. One of the lessons in it that really stood out to me is how to foster independence at an age-appropriate rate. There's an anecdote in the book that illustrates this. The authors talk about how the Dutch bike everywhere. So when a children learns how to ride a bike around like three or four, they ride alongside their parents. Then as they get older, the parents allow them to bike ahead a bit more. And as the years go on, they increase the distance they allow between them and their child. And then, you know, when they reach the age of eight to 10, they bike far enough away that if they end up in a little spill or they fall over or something happens, they have to manage it on their own before the parents ride up a minute or two later. And this simple illustration really stuck with me. I often think of this when I'm allowing my own daughter to do things, especially very physically involved things like I take her to my gym. Side note, love that place. Best thing I ever did with a rambunctious two-year-old. And she'll be jumping off things and climbing all over things. And my heart rate gets picked up a little bit. (laughs) But I sit there and think, okay, first of all, this is a padded safe area. You know, she falls, which she has. Generally, she is not going to get gravely injured. So I need to just let her do things. I need to let her go. And I honestly find that this is very intuition based. I listen to my gut a lot and I notice a distinct uncomfortability the second I feel that she's either too far away or doing something a little too independent for her age. And the more I learn to trust that gut instinct, the more that I have listened to that twinge, now I can discern a little bit better between my own anxieties that's just general anxiety and not based in a situation and trust that I will know when she's doing something just a little more advanced and that she can handle versus when she's exercising appropriate independence and I'm just being a normal mom that wants to coddle my kid. One of the biggest observations they made was this difference in how we foster independence in America versus how the Dutch parents fostered independence. And that really stuck with me. And I very much try to carry that over into my parenting every single day. There were a lot of different factors detailed in this book that the authors believe contribute to the well-being of Dutch children. 
This includes a healthy work-life balance, which we all know we don't exactly have in America, <laughs> an emphasis and prioritization on family time. They talked about how dinner time is family time and everyone in Dutch culture knows that. So like no one calls people up. No one invites people to do things after six o'clock or whatever because they are respecting that family time. They also mentioned gender role equality and very balanced parental involvement an emphasis on building social skills and time to play instead of being inundated with like academics and homework, the preservation of parental identity and ample amounts of just simple time to play by themselves and outside. In essence, one of the biggest differences between our culture and Dutch culture is this low-key nature of childhood. You know, the authors talked about birthday parties in the Netherlands, and typically this was with family and maybe a few of the child's friends, but it was always just like a simple party with a little cake, didn't last very long, and the kids just ran around and played with each other. The adults had a grand time and they celebrated the kid, but it was just a low-key, more quality type get together. And this is such a contrast to these like lavish, stressful and expensive events American parents subject themselves to. A lot of times these the stress we put ourselves under the kids are like, "Oh yeah, cool, that's nice." <laughs> this overall contrast in birthday parties speaks to the larger difference in our approaches to simplicity. And I believe that this focus on simplicity raises children who notice and appreciate simple joys in life, which we all know is linked to a higher overall sense of happiness. Another one of the biggest differences that was talked about in this book is something that I truly believe needs to be aggressively addressed in American culture, and it was the approach to academics. American culture is very productivity, very success based in in tangible measures. You know, what kind of job can you get? How much can you make? What are your grades? What college did you get into? We tend to measure success in tangible markers. And because of this, you know, colleges are more competitive than ever to get into. And of course, you have to get into the best college. So we start putting our kids through this rigorous academic pressure and extracurricular pressure from a very young age because we want them to succeed. That's a natural parental desire. And absolutely. And unfortunately, this is how our society is set up that people believe is to be successful. In Happiest Kids in the World book, they talked about how Dutch schools, especially in the younger years, focus more on fostering healthy socialization and resiliency, play, and relational skills instead of anything else. Instead of report cards, parents would receive reports on like how well the kid is interacting with others and how they play and how they relate to the world and, and that kind of stuff. It was more of like a social scorecard. And that's such a stark contrast to how we push from a young age our kids to learn information and excel academically. Perfect example of this is my sister was a very active child. She loved to play, never wanted to sit still. She was climbing trees and getting dirty knees and she was just high max energy. When she was, I think in like second or third grade, the school informed my mom that my sister was a remedial reader and that she needed extra academic support because she was clearly a slow learner. Y'all, she was not a remedial reader. She just got bored too quickly with reading, and she didn't want to read. That's just not where she was at yet. She had no interest. 
So fast forward to about fourth grade, it was a new school and the school had this program where you gained points and prizes based on how many books you read. Now, my sister was a very competitive child. So she took to this like a fish in water. Within a year, she was light years ahead of the reading curve and was just devouring books left and right. The moral of this story is that no one was allowing my sister to develop at her own pace. She wasn't learning impaired. She was simply a competitive, high-energy, active child, and she didn't read well because she didn't want to read well. Now, that girl reads more freaking books than a book editor and was one of the most brilliant people I know. We really don't allow our children to be children. We don't allow them to develop at their own pace or learn enough about individual children to help foster approaches that will appeal to their personality. Instead, we place these narrow and high expectations on them and then chastise them when they fail to meet these, even though there's nothing wrong with the child. And so then we sit there and wonder why our children have all these self-esteem issues and feel they have no way out in America because we're teaching our kids from a young age that there's only one right way to be successful. And this theme was echoed again and again and again whenever I would talk to my psych patients. So bringing that personal and professional experience with me and then reading this book just really highlighted for me how our schooling and how we treat our kids as like mini adults or that we, instead of just letting them be kids, we're treating them for their adulthood and preparing them for their adulthood And not in the correct way, like, hey, we need to raise functioning humans. Like, we do. We obviously are raising them to be adults. But it's more of you're already looking at your five-year-old and thinking, okay, how are we going to get you into good college? It's just not healthy for anybody. I could go on and on about this book. It was so jam-packed with good points and perspectives. And I highly recommend this read. But the last thing I really want to highlight from this book is that the Dutch emphasize that a happy parent is a happy child. Like I was just talking about, the, the Dutch don't have 27 million extracurriculars they place their kids into. That's just too much stress. They're like, nah, I'm not about that life. The kids have like one or two things that they love that they're involved in, and the rest is just free time to play or family time. And the parents also work to maintain their own individuality and preserve the identity within parenthood. This really leads to an atmosphere where leisure is prized and parents respect their own time and have, you know, me time and stuff, but they also incorporate their children into their joy and into their fun time. And that is a game changer, in my opinion, that their time filling their soul cup or stocking their soul pond doesn't necessarily always have to be separate from their kids. I work to make sure that I have time to myself, but I also simply engage Lila in things that bring me joy too, because her presence adds so much joy to even the most mundane tasks. And learning that and incorporating her, just it, it just adds to just the everyday magic. And it's interesting to me because Sometimes I feel that in America, we are so focused on teaching our children that we forget that they can teach us as well. You know, whenever I'm loading the laundry, freaking laundry bane of my existence, I'm pretty sure it's the bane of every person's existence. That crap is never ending. And the second I fold things, there's a whole dirty pile again. I swear, it just drives me crazy. I don't know where all these clothes come from. That's a complete lie. I know I buy too many clothes. Anyway, I digress. But I'll be loading the laundry and I'll have her with me. And she and I hand her some laundry. 
And she's like, dryer, you know, and she'll toss it in the dryer. You're so precious. And how these very simple tasks are so enamoring to you. And really, whenever I notice that, it always reminds me to take a step back and look at things through her childlike gaze, which then makes me appreciate the most simple tasks. And that in turn adds to my happiness. And that brings us right back around to it's more of a cyclical thing because a happy child can create a happy parent and a happy parent creates a happy child. And I think that we need to remember that this is a symbiotic relationship between parents and children. I know I raved all about this book and I'm well aware that these are generalizations that the Netherlands has its own set of problems, utopia doesn't exist, and there are no right answers, but I truly love the points it made and the perspective shift and the comparisons to highlight some of the areas that we might improve upon in America, especially as we are facing down this mental health crisis in our children. I think that this is honestly the biggest challenge that we have for raising our children in in this day and age. And it's absolutely something that needs to be addressed. And if we can learn from other cultures, personally, that's a huge bias of mine is learning from other cultures. But if we can learn from other cultures and and take the good from other places, then that's a huge asset. That is the beauty of living in such a diverse world. We can take the good from all these different things and try and create a better society, a healthier, happier society. I'll also admit that when it comes down to it, I have a bias towards simplicity. Some of my happiest memories from my own childhood were making mud pies in the rain or catering to my wild, wild imagination, (laughs) wandering through the woods in our backyard um, or family vacations that we all explored a new place together. I'm the type of personality that while I definitely crave big adventures, I also find deep joy in little moments, like sipping on a hot cup of coffee, preferably not the microwave hot, but the fresh out of the pot hot, (laughs) reading a book with my daughter or having her help me bake something or honestly simply taking a walk outside in the sunshine because we do not get enough of that up here. (laughs) And with that bias in mind, I do believe that we need to infuse a bit more simplicity into our busy American lives. Kids don't need a lot. They really don't need a lot. They need love. They need safety. They need ample amounts of time to play. And that's kind of it. The biggest lessons that I have learned from listening to my teenage patients and from reading books like The Happiest Kids in the World or going or sifting through the early childhood development is that, you know, The very first stage of Erickson's psychosocial development is trust versus mistrust. This is the infancy stage, and it's all about the child learning that you are there to meet their basic needs. This is the foundation for which everything's built upon. And that really just highlights the fact that children just need love and time and space to be kids. And I think that that is really what we lack nowadays is that we don't allow our kids to just be kids. And we also forget to invest in ourselves and invest in our own happiness to take a step back and watch the child like magic and wonder through our kids' eyes 
to breathe that in, to learn from that, to have that make us hold on a second and be more present in the moment. And by making ourselves happier, we are inadvertently making our children happier. And I know this is a hard thing to do as parents. The phrase self-care is all the rage and the buzzword, but there's rarely guidelines on what exactly counts as self-care. Like y'all, taking a shower while it is nice is not actually self-care. That is a basic need. (laughs) Why are we counting meeting our basic needs as self-care? Like that means the bar on parental happiness is a little too low in my opinion. Self-care is like getting to curl up for a couple hours and read a book without anyone, you know, wanting to climb all over you. That's (laughs) self-care. Or driving alone in the car aimlessly for all I care, blasting your gangster rap and remembering that you a bad bee. I think part of the mental health crisis of our children is that we have forgotten how to take care of ourselves as well. And so we are not showing our kids how to prioritize themselves. And then we place all this pressure on ourselves. And that's what our children are learning as well. And this is really hard to combat when you are knee deep in this culture and it is all around you because the only thing you really want as a parent is for your kid to be happy and successful, right? And trying to discern what those definitions actually mean, I think, help a little bit. I made a promise to myself before Lila was ever born that success for her would be whatever made her happy, whatever her purpose was, even if that path led her down an unconventional path. I mean, here I am sitting and filming a podcast in my kid's closet size room, you know, drinking Sonic iced tea. Like who knows what the future holds? Everybody has a different path to walk, right? And I really made a promise to myself that I was never going to shoehorn her on a narrow path because that's what I was used to. That as long as she was doing something positive, that as long as she was following her passion and doing something productive, you know, whatever that may look like, she's not gonna be a lazy bump on the log, that I would support and celebrate that version of success for her. And I think that these kind of paradigm shifts in how we view things is important to helping our children. That they know there's not a very narrow version of success. That They know that they are loved and cared for and they can come to us and turn to us and that no, your failing grade on your math test is not going to make me hate you. Like These are some of the things that I heard from kids, but I'd have kids crying in their bed talking about how they were scared to go home because they failed this and they don't want to disappoint their parents and all this kind of stuff. These were very common themes. And obviously this comes from a place of love from the parents, because if you have high expectations for your children, that's because you want them to do well. But I think that sometimes we need to step, take a step back as a society and really reframe our priorities that maybe what truly makes a successful child is a happy, well-adjusted, emotionally regulated child. And we do not, by any stretch of the imagination, 
foster that kind of learning in our schools, in our teaching, in our childhood. And instead we focus on test scores and a whole bunch of other crazy things going on in in the world today. That was one of the biggest things that truly resonated with me in the Happiest Kids in the World book was their simple approach to childhood being like letting the kid be a kid, teaching them how to regulate themselves and socialize with others, and then prioritizing parental happiness and family time so then the kids learned how to prioritize their own happiness as well. And so I will just wrap up with saying that in the NICU, when a baby is cranky and upset or doing just a little worse clinically, like breathing faster, just looking a little worse for the wear, I always make it a priority to get the baby skin to skin with mom or dad as soon as possible. And this is typically an instant remedy. Within minutes, the baby is calm, their breathing slows, their temperature rises, their heart rate decreases, all is right in the world. Why? Because the baby is with their parents, all warm and snuggled and safe. And the lesson in this is that what kids really need is you. A happy kid is a loved kid. It is a snuggled and safe and warm kid. And this doesn't really change as kids grow older. It just starts to look a little different. You know, instead of skin to skin, it turns into cuddling in bed watching a movie. And that grows into listening about their day. And that morphs into holding them when they go through their first heartbreak. In the end, children just need us. Thank you so much for listening. It's truly been a pleasure being a part of your day. If you liked today's episode and want to stick around, hit that subscribe button. We would love to have you join us for each episode. You can check out detailed show notes on my website, supportedparenthoodrn.com, or find me on Instagram at supportedparenthoodrn.